This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. I had a conversation on my radio show on Sirius XM Urban View, Channel 126, with Reverend William Barber, who has picked up the mantle, picked up the baton from Martin Luther King Jr. and heading up the Poor People's Campaign, Poor People's Movement, all over the country, and Jennifer Jones Austin, who is an anti-poverty activist, also author of Consider It Pure Joy. And of course, you know, we were talking about the millions of, of Americans, 140 million Americans who are uh, classified as impoverished in this country and how that is, has a deleterious effect on us as a nation, as Americans, if you're in another country, you know, people have various disparate ways in which they deal with poverty, but America is supposed to be the richest nation in the world, and we shouldn't have anyone living in poverty in this country, and I agree with that. I also know that we have certain, so, certain social uh, programs that will protect particularly children, and I, I'm going to say that there should not be a single child in America that goes to bed hungry a single child in America that is impoverished because they don't ask to come here and we need to, need to take care of them. But I posed this question to Reverend Barber and I got a couple of phone calls and a couple of accusations of elitism and you know being out of touch, but I asked him this question, what percentage of the 140 million people in poverty can we attribute their poverty to their own choices and decisions? Now, there's no stat for that. But I asked this question because I just came back from Africa, from Ghana to be exact. And I saw poverty that I hadn't seen when I went to Mexico, Jamaica, and several other places where you might find people who are considered living in third world conditions, right? I saw folks without limbs trying to sell, trying to work on crutches, on, on boards, uh, walking the streets, selling various different things. I saw, saw begging, literal begging, people hungry, people sleeping on sidewalks, on concrete. Uh, I saw poverty that I hadn't seen in my entire life. And I also saw resilience and a, and a willingness to get up and work every single day. I had dinner, I think I shared this in one of my podcasts about, um, I think it was the, one of the five podcasts that I did about my trip to Ghana. I had dinner at a woman's house who literally sold kerosene as a young woman, and I went to her her home where she lived, you know, so we ate dinner, we went to Kamasi, we went to where she actually sold her, you know, walked up the hill uh, every day. Her sisters would go and get cassava or yams, and they would sell that. She would sell kerosene. The roads are unpaved. The neighborhood that she grew up in is still there, unlike in the city of Accra, where they at least have a concrete barrier over the sewer. None, no barrier, literal waste in the dirt. And it, it, I can't describe it. And I don't want to get into detail about it. But what I saw, though, in the midst of that squalor were people getting up every day working. They didn't consider themselves poor because that's not even a, a you know, because we talked about this too. You know, the, the poverty mentality is a juxtaposition to wealth. What does wealth look like? Well, if we as a community have decided that everybody in, in this community is going to eat no matter what, then guess what? Nobody's really poor. 
And so there's a couple of things that I want to talk about today, and um, I would love to hear your feedback. So follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Use the hashtag podcast, but and share this too because I think these are conversations we need to have. So we were talking about this, and then I challenged you know William Barber's never been poor, Jennifer Jones Austin's never been poor, I've never been poor, and so to talk about poverty through the lens of uh, uh, never having experienced it, and my dad was poor though. My dad grew up in Newark. He was one of eight. He talks about you know not having you know, a bathroom in his apartment, like they had to share with other families when he was growing up, eight kids in like three rooms or two rooms, uh, two bedrooms, literally, they turned the front room into a bedroom because, you know, that's what happens. He slept in a bed with his three brothers uh, and they slept uh, head to foot, you know, washing your clothes, wasn't a thing, you know what I'm saying? Taking a bath, wash, things we take for granted. So I, I'm adjacent to poverty, you know, because my dad's stories are still with me and they're very vivid and it did shape the person that he became who was a doggedly determined person to never be poor. And he ended up becoming very wealthy. My father was a millionaire. So I, I understand what that looks like, but I also know that he, unlike some of his relatives, had a different work ethic and he had a different mentality and he was determined to not be poor. In America, Again, having gone to Africa, having gone to Ghana, and I'm going to go to several other countries because I think, I think travel is super important for you to gain perspective on, on yourself, but also to appreciate what you have in America. Having traveled there, I know that a lot of people who are in poverty in America is self-inflicted. I think a lot of us are chasing things that are outside of ourselves, they, chasing things we don't need. So I get a call from a woman, and I, I really love this call because it, it illustrated so many different things that we're talking about right now. So she's former military. She said that um, she lost her job. She was working for the government, lost her job. Then her house was foreclosed on. She lost her car. Car was re repossessed. She said, I have nothing. And she was on the verge of suicide, which I, I don't ever want anyone to take their lives because you never know what the turn is going to be. But I understand, not personally, because I've never been in my entire life on the brink of suicide ever, um, but I do have a sympathy for people who feel like they have nothing. And this is why I do what I do every day, because the, what I'm telling you is, even in your darkest moments, and, and no one wants to hear this, there's somebody going through something way worse, no one wants to hear that, because in your pain, your pain is everything, and I do understand that. But it's temporary. 2020 a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
whatever you're going through, it's a moment in time. It's a blip on the screen. And I can remember some of the most horrible things that I think ever happened to me. And it's like a faded memory outside of death of a relative of somebody that you really love. Those things that have happened, once you come through them, because you always will, I promise you, you will. If you do certain things, which we're going to talk about in a minute, it's a faded memory and it's also a stepping stone and it's also a lesson to turn into the next thing in your life. Most of us come through an experience that we don't control. The homes that we're born into, the, the conditions that we're born into, whether you're born in Accra or you're born into wealth in America, you don't ask to do that. So however you come into this world, that, that's no, none of your doing. What you do afterwards, I believe in this podcast space and I now have more than 250 of them, I give you an interview that I did with a man named Xavier Pope. Xavier Pope is a, is a man born to, I, I wanna say his mother was on drugs, his father was on drugs, he ended up in, this, in the foster care system with his twin sister. I think they were separated at some point, but he talks about having this wonderful foster care mother who demanded certain things of him, but his also turning point was he was extremely bright and he ended up in a school not the public school that his sister went to, he ended up in a school that challenged him. He now is a very successful lawyer. This man is doing amazing things in Chicago, but he didn't come into the world with any kind of, so with a spoon, period. And yet somehow, now, were those his choices? Probably not. But I'm sure that people listening right now who are making choices that uh, led them to a place that they're in right now good, bad, or ugly, right? For example, um, some of us have relatives that depend on us. And even when we don't have it, we give. Now, one could argue, if you don't give it, then they won't have, but I will also argue that it's really hard to get yourself up out of a ditch when there's someone pulling on your leg. You can't get up out of a ditch. You can't put your hand down when you're not fully out yourself on not just solid ground. I don't even wanna be anywhere near the ditch when I put my hand down to, to help you up out of it, because you're gonna pull me in. You know the worst thing as a lifeguard is to go to rescue someone who's drowning, because a drowning person usually drowns other people. In their panic and fear, they usually pull other people. Even if you're a good swimmer, a drowning person can take you out. And that's, I think, one of our biggest problems is that we try to help people who are drowning because we're good people. But in the midst of doing that, we end up drowning ourselves. Let's stop doing that. And I know that sounds cruel, but listen, and I know this, you know, for, for a fact, because I've watched it. A lot of times those people who are calling you up like they're drowning, if you don't help them, they find somebody else that will. They find other ways. They find a way. They find a way. The other thing I think is that we um, aspire to have things. We aspire to have things that we don't need. So the woman that called, I, I asked her this question. I said, so what's your plan? And instead of giving me her plan, she went on to tell me more about her pain. And I said, but what's your plan? And she didn't have a plan, but she kept talking about her pain. And I get it, the pain is right there. It's what you're focused on. It's all you can see. But if you don't take time to plan out of this situation, you're never going to leave it. So yeah, it's gonna pound and compound and depression and then suicidal thoughts. All of that is right there because you haven't sat down and d done just a very basic, what's my plan out of this situation? 
Now, I w- I've talked about this on these airwaves right here about Steve Harvey's challenge to do 300 goals, which I think is ridiculous, but I'm doing it, right? But even in the midst of that, I, I was in a valley for seven years. I-, I had my house literally foreclosed on almost three times. Thank God for a law change in Florida that made it impossible for them to foreclose on me. Otherwise, I would have been foreclosed on, which would have been devastating. I ended up selling my place. But the truth of the matter is, before the foreclosure notices and before I was able to sell my place, uh, I knew that I couldn't afford it. And instead of selling it for a, uh, for a profit, which I could have, when I knew I couldn't afford it, the vanity of having a place in Florida with a swimming pool on a golf course was too much for me to walk away from. And my, my ego told me that you're going to get that money back. So here's what happened. I lost a contract that was literally paying for that house. When I lost the contract, in that moment, I knew I no longer could, could afford that place. But my ego said, nah, Karen, you're going to find a way to make the money. But how? I didn't have a plan. So I ended up cashing out my savings the, the, the rainy day savings, because I was smart enough to have, you know, um, an emergency fund, which is what we tell people. You got to have, you know, six to eight months of an emergency fund. I now say it should be at least a year. You should have, you know, money saved up. I was saving. I had, I had bought gold and silver and, you know, I had to cash out everything to pay a 3000 a month mortgage on a house that I couldn't afford to go to, let alone live in, every single month. That was the dumbest thing in the world to say I have a house in Florida on a golf course. Are you kidding me? Cars. Some of us, you know, cars are a luxury. They are a luxury. And the truth of the matter is cars now are so cheap that you can get a really cheap car. You don't need to drive a nice car. No one needs to drive a nice car. When I was in a valley, I sold everything and I had a Mazda 626. Now, I'm going to say this because uh, I'm a car freak. I've had every kind of car except for a Ferrari and a Lam- Lamborghini because th- that just doesn't make any sense to me, and I probably wouldn't be a very very good driver, and I can't imagine having a car that goes 200 miles an hour, and I can't drive it 200 miles an hour anywhere. Anyway, that said, um, I had a Mazda 626, the basic, basic, basic model used. It was so bad that the transmission went out like the first month that I had. But listen, that's what I could afford at the time. Yes, I love the BMWs and the Mercedes. I love the Range Rover. I love all of those cars. But I couldn't afford it. And, yeah, I had a really uh, high-profile job at the time. Um, but, yeah, I was driving a car that I could afford. And you know what? If I had to not drive a car, period, and take public transportation, transportation I would have done that as well. Because I think, you know, to get out of a situation, your plan needs to be, all right, for this period of time, I'm going to have to sacrifice every penny, every dime to get to where I want to go. Okay, so you lose your job. I'm about to do this whole thing on Chicago. The city of Chicago has all of these jobs available, yet unemployment among black people is at all-time high. How is that possible? Well, these jobs are in a very highly specialized tech field. How easy is it to get a tech certificate? Hey, certification in tech requires not a college degree. It's maybe a six-month process. I, I know there's some programs that are three months. I know there's a month-long program that you can get into. They will pay for you to go through school and place you. They'll place you, and your only stipulation is you'll have to pay them back with the first job that you get. But most of the jobs start at $75,000. Can you do that? There are so I, I know this for a fact because I, I know there's a podcast on here where I interviewed a woman who left an abusive marriage, got on a 
train and a plane and left everything, including her job. And she came to New Jersey. I did a podcast with her. She went and got certified in hemodialysis, whatever, uh, to, to give people their dialysis. It was, I think, a three-month program. She immediately got a job. Now, it wasn't a high-paying job, but that job then led her to the next certification, which then gave her a bump up in her salary. So in less than a year, not only did she leave a bad situation, but she came into a situation where she's making more money than she ever made in her whole entire life. She was a bank. Uh, she worked at a bank uh, in Florida uh, as a teller. Now she's in Jersey. Now you know what she did? She, she took every spare hour she could take, you know, took every shift she could take, every overtime she could take, and she went back to school and became a nurse. That was a year, one, one year. S one year now, starting salary is what, 65000 Huh. Now she's going, yeah, you know, and she's going to keep it going because now her life has opened up. She has ships. You can get signing bonuses now as a nurse. She went to a field that was, that needed people who are trained in the things that she can do, but she didn't come up saying, I want to be a nurse, but this, le you have to find, you have to have a plan. So I'm saying all this to say, some people are in a situation right now where they're thinking, man, life is horrible. What are you willing to sacrifice? First of all, are you willing to cut ties with the people who are draining you? That has to be number one. Cauterize those relationships because if the people really loved you, they would want to see you succeed, not drain you, not pull you in. And everybody's looking for somebody to help them out. But you got to look in the mirror. And I'm not saying pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you don't have boots. What I'm saying is get, to, get busy building, making boots. Get busy making some boots. We live in America. We're not on the side of the road in Accra, Ghana. We're not in some third world country where there aren't opportunities. There are programs in every city, every major city, where you can go to school for free. And if you're of a certain age, they will pay you. If you get good grades, you can get a stipend on top of that. But how many of us are actually doing the work to, to do the research to find out what's out there? And then how many of us are making the necessary sacrifices to put ourselves on the road? So let me just say, I have stripped myself down to needing absolutely nothing. And I'm not in a valley right now. Thank God. But I know that the valley can come because life is a roller coaster. You're going to have your highs and your lows. While you're high, you have to store up like the squirrel. Squirrels store up. I'm, I need to do a podcast on this too. Squirrels store up so much that as a result of them, we have trees. <laughs> Listen, they put acorn seeds everywhere because they know when winter comes, I need to eat. So they are planting seeds all along. And as a result of their wonderful planting, we get to benefit from the seeds that they forget that they planted. You understand what I'm saying? Like plant your seeds while you are plentiful because tomorrow's not promised any of us. Tomorrow's prosperity is not promised, and I guarantee you, valleys come. They hit everybody. It rains on everybody. So while it's not raining on you, use that sunshine to store away, to, to, to build your wealth, to have your money working for, your, for itself, to cut back. My goal has been for the last two years to have no debt. That includes mortgages. Thank you, Chris Hogan. Was it Retire Inspired? He's got a couple of books. Anyway, he challenged me on my mortgages because I think a mortgage is a, good, is a good thing to have. No, it's not a good debt. No debt is good because at any point in time, that bank can actually pull your mortgage. At any point in time, that bank can call that in. Do you have your mortgage in the bank? Do you have enough to say to the bank if, they, if there's a run on banks and they're like, we need this mortgage? Because they can do it. Read the fine print. 
Can you give them a check for the amount of mortgage, mortgage that you owe? If the answer is no, a valley could hit you and you could be ass out of your home that you put so much time, money, energy into building. So I never want to be at anybody's mercy. And really, this is a, a conversation about freedom because we can talk about race and racism and all these other things. But the true free person is a person that is not beholden to anybody for anything. And that means that every dime that you make, again, I go back to Osceola McCarthy, the, the woman that was a janitor basically at a school for so many years, but she stored away so much money that she was able to leave money for a scholarship for the school. Never had an education, but had enough money because of her savings. There's no amount of racism in the world that can stop you if you're determined and focused on your goals. Now, if you're in that valley right now, I know you're probably not hearing me. But know that this is not, this is temporary light and momentary. This is not forever. Please take out a piece of paper and a pen and put down your plan for getting out of your situation. If it's going back to school, you have to do that. No, nobody wants to do anything. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, I keep four or five jobs. Think I want to work this hard? No, I don't. But I'm working for 90-year-old Karen because at some point I won't be able to work. And at that point, I'm not eating cat food. And at that point, I am not going to be struggling and having to cut back on things because I'm too old to do certain things and I can't make money anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for 90-year-old Karen because I don't think there's going to be Social Security when it's time for me to retire because the government can't be dependent upon. And that's the other thing with this whole poverty thing. They're, they're pushing for, for government programs. But this government, this government, America, uh-uh. You'd be a fool to depend and put your eggs in that basket, basket full of holes. Prepare for your own Social Security. Prepare for your own retirement. Make wise choices now. All right, so let me know what you think. I appreciate you uh, joining me on this journey. I love talking with you guys uh, off the radio, on the radio. You can follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Uh, go to my YouTube channel and subscribe, Karen Hunter Show, and listen to me Monday through Friday on SiriusXM Urban View Channel 126. Listen on the on the app. Appreciate y'all. Uh, Till next time.